In just a moment, we will return with another exciting adventure featuring a guest star from the galaxy of super superheroes. Max Ray, brilliant sea operations commander. Yes, yes. Uh, all right, Dylan. I don't think we can. I, I don't think I can play Bob Dylan throughout the entire show. But uh, <laughs> guys, hell yes. Yes. This is yes. We have finally, we have finally merged. I, when the the big beast, when the <laughs> Thanos, you know, when Thanos came to overtake the world, finally, finally, the world has been asking I, for this. I. I wanted to do a, I mean, I wanted to do an arena tour when we got back together. RF said, no, let's just do the club tour. So yeah, I got, you yeah. know, I guess we'll just do the club tour. Yeah, See, is... it, it, it kind of feels like the, the will and grace revival <laughs> a, a little bit. Right. They, they, they didn't read it. They didn't recast us. Yeah. All three of us are the gay ones in this. There's no, no straight person in this scenario. Um, don't make me the twink, please. Don't don't make me the one with the high <laughs> voice. Um, did, didn't Thirty Rock do one of these too? I think. I feel like Thirty Rock also. Yeah, did, I, th I uh, think so. Did one of these uh, reunions over Every Zoom? Everything comes back. That's very profound, John. Um, Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful plot. <laughs> it's a beautiful sentiment, uh, um, guys. It's an honor. I um. I remember when we used to do the show, I typically would introduce uh, our listeners who are mostly on the on the campus radio station to John as a a watermelon headed buffoon and Jason <laughs> as sort of an autistic sort of homeless person. <laughs> I, I I I live up. I still live up to that. Uh, I think I still live up to that standard. But your living, both of your respective living situations and mental health have significantly improved uh, since the time we left the university. Uh, what makes you say that? Well, John, you're about to get married, and you've got. I mean, you've got a bookshelf behind you, and you've got <laughs> look. <laughs> what I can see is settlers of serial killers have had uh, bookshelves behind them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Jason just looks like as though he's uh, been relegated to his basement. I am. Just I am in my. I am in my basement. Yeah. Very kind yeah. of 70s basement. We got the wood panel. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I, I was actually going to, I was going to throw a few books behind me to make myself look smart, but I was like, I don't know. Or like a flag, a controversial flag right across the back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You mean the Confederate flag, but it was just upside down because, you know, he's like a rebel. He's like a rebel against the rebellion, you know. Um, Neither of you have aged. Oh, come on, John. Come on, John. It's true. Shut you up. Look, you, you look exactly the same. I mean, you got a little bit of salt and pepper in the beard, but Jason looks no, exactly Jason the same. Looks you, you look horrible. You, I guess you, look, you look the same, man. Yeah, John looks yeah. exactly the same. John hasn't yeah. changed a damn bit. No, uh, what much. kind of board games are we talking about behind you? I've, I have no idea. What do you mean you have no idea? 
I, I forget. There's, I'm not going to go through my board games. It's, uh, <laughs> it's embarrassing, right? It's like, it's like looking through your dirty underwear and then I, just holding them up. Oh, this one's a tidy whitey <laughs> that I wear on Wednesdays. I will, I will tell you that the best game of the bunch is Secret Hitler. I have played Secret Hitler. That's a good one. I uh, haven't. Yeah. I, I, Ripley I, likes board games, so maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll get that one. I, I don't use the secret part. I just uh, I just I just read Mein Kampf in a coffee shop, and that's what. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, who am I? Who do I? Who do I have to apologize to? It's not like as though. Well, maybe John has. Uh, uh, so John, we, John has a lot more at stake than uh, than the three of us. So J- Jason, can, us. can we agree that the only person that will say things that could get them fired is RF. I, I agree. Yeah. I do agree. Okay. What do you yeah. mean? Are you I'm, implying that I'm some sort of edgelord who just says controversial things for the sake of uh, I, I rising think, up a person in a lopsided haircut and bloodstones and sort of high-waisted jeans? I, I have no idea what any of that is, but I think you can take it. <laughs> I think I mean, you can take it. I think that's... Uh, I, I mean, I had worked out... Uh, a joke where I was going to tell you guys that I was working on some, um, some, Uh-oh. man, I totally lost my fucking train of thought there. <laughs> it was a good joke. Just, it was, a, it no, was a really good I joke. Mean, the boys. setup was solid. <laughs> <laughs> Jason drinking over David Bowie mug. Very <laughs> sort of perfect. Is that a David Bowie mug? It, it is. RIP David Bowie. Bo- damn. He was yeah, still he, alive. He was still alive when I got it, though. He was but. still alive when we got it. Yeah, he was. He was still alive, but poor Bowie, he did. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's uh, that uh, that's what the doctor said when they when he flatlined. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the family was up. all gathered around. He said, "He did. I'm out of here." <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Steve Harvey was doing the was the doctor. Um. The uh, Jason, you posed a very interesting question to John. Uh, do you want to repeat it? You, you I mean, sure. uh, well, say, it, it, say it without the, it, it the, the slurs and the n word that you usually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, 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 a di- it's, it's a different, yeah, it's a different climate. I shouldn't be saying the n word anymore. That's true. That's right. Uh, I say it when I look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> your jokes, guys, folks. <laughs> Um, it wasn't even really a question. It was just more of a, uh, I was just saying that I remembered the last time we had gotten together, we recorded an episode in a, in a bar, right? We recorded in a bar, I think. Um, did we record? I think so. Yeah, yes, yeah. I you, think we did. Because you were, we were yeah. in bars a lot back then. Taco Pica. That's is true. But I think you, when we did it, when we did you, it last. But you had come, you had come down, like you were you were visiting and then we recorded an episode and we were talking about all this, um, all this woke shit. And which, as I mentioned before, we didn't, we weren't calling it woke shit then. And, and I remember me and RF asking you, cause we felt like you were our guy on the inside, you know, cause you were in the university. So like, Fools. We, yeah, <laughs> but we were, we were saying, what's going to happen, John, what's going to happen. Do you think this, this thing has any legs? And you said, no, these people are too lazy. Well, they proved you wrong. Yeah, John, they, you dummy. They, they had, they had the, work, a, the, work, the work ethic is surprising. 
I was also surprised by it. I was. I, do you think that it's that it's a that they have a work ethic, or do you think that it's just by sheer uh, it's by sheer force and just the uh, it's like one of those DDoS attacks, is what it is. You know, like do you know what those are? John, Jason? To, like, to shut down like a website, right? That's right. You know, a DDoS attack is basically, you know, you just flood a, com it's a, it's a thing that happens in like computer switches where you, where you just flood the system with those so many requests to be let in uh, so many times that the barrier simply cannot hold and then it basically, and it basically caves, right? So, like, you, for instance, like, a lot of these times, like, I mean, the three of us have been listening, we're pretty much on the same page, and, you know, Harris was on the, Sam Harris was on this beat a long time ago, as was Christopher Hitchens, and a lot of this, and subsequently, a lot of people have spent a lot of time sort of, uh, you know, and recently sort of, John McWhorter and Glenn Lowry and a, and a lot of others have spent a lot of time attempting to understand its ideological, Douglas Murray have been trying to understand its ideological or philosophical roots. However, I think sort of at my, at the level of just the regular dude outside of the university, you know, witnessing, say something like the locally, like the New Brunswick election, it appears as though nobody has read anything. They don't have the time to read anything. So they don't appear to have the time to even want to, you know, understand any ideological or philosophical roots. In fact, some of them take pride in saying things like, I haven't read a book in five, six, seven, eight years. Lol. You know, like that's a, that's like a thing. Yeah. That uh, that Zadie Smith article, I think, is that how you say her name? That yeah. that's, that's that article you sent around kind of gets at that—the collapsing of history, present, future. A little bit, man. And so, do you do you really think that it's like? What is it about the work ethic? Do you think that they've been? Uh, maybe, maybe you, you probably meant it as a joke. And I, I was. I mean, I mean, I was obviously it's a joke. Yeah. I mean, I was being facetious, but I think there's. There, there's probably something there. I, I don't even know if it's a, a word. I mean, I think a lot of it's that analogy you used is actually a perfect analogy. I mean, they're very insistent. They're, you know, um, and, and, and it's funny that I think too, to me, like I, I almost feel paranoid when I, when I watch the news and, you know, and like everybody talked about that CNN reporter who's standing in, was it, was it in Wisconsin? I think Kenosha where he's standing in front of the street that's burning behind him. And he says the, you know, the protests have been largely peaceful with some fiery flare ups or however he worded it. And it's so absurd. I mean, it's, but you know, the, it it does seem like the the center left by and large are really carrying water for this movement 
like they just they're still in this mindset of this isn't a big deal everybody's exaggerating um you know there's literally political violence in the streets i mean i don't know what else you would call that but no it's no big deal it's nothing to worry about uh, i feel like i'm being gaslit almost like i that's almost what it feels like uh, what what do you guys like how do you guys feel about that like when you uh, to use that dreaded term mainstream media but when you see the 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 articles coming out of the new york times or a lot of the shit that's getting written in the Atlantic and not all stuff. I mean, the Atlantic does have some, you know, some good pieces and even the Times still has some good pieces, but they really just seem on board with this, you know? Well, there's a thing I think I read and I'm going to utter, utter his name. Uh, I know this is a name that you're not supposed to, like decent, normal people are not supposed to utter, even though it's absurd because uh, he's the biggest sort of, <laughs> he has the most profitable podcast in the entire world right now. But there was a, right, Rogan was talking, Joe Rogan was talking to this this fighter and they were talking about the tactic of confusing people. Like it, it, within MMA, John, correct me if I'm wrong, within MMA, there's this tactic where a fighter, in order to sort of get under the defenses of someone else, what they do is they just sort of confuse you with a whole bunch of things right? And in your attempt to respond to each and everything, you let your, I guess, your main guard down. And that's when they sort of, that's when they can get in and sort of, you know, put you in a rear naked choke or kiss you on the lips or whatever, however MMA ends usually. Uh, and I think that this is, it's, there's some version of an equivalent of that. Like, you would, like when we would talk about, I remember when you, we would go back and forth about at the time it was Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> Oddly, like who you know, Glenn I Greenwald just, was at that time. I still as as broke out in a flop sweat. <laughs> but but <laughs> if you remember, like when we would talk about Greenwald or Noam Chomsky, like that part of the left, like we would always notice that in the writing it would just be a like paragraphs long, just worth of information. It would just be you know and it would be difficult to find the thread, the through line as to, you know, to figure out what exactly you are supposed to get from this just barraging you with information, right? Chomsky and, especially. Chomsky's really good or bad, good or bad at that, depending on how you look at it. But yeah, Chomsky's definitely a master at just confusing you with information you know like how can you make an argument that it, it's hard to stand up to an art like if if you're trying to say the united states isn't actually the worst country on the planet and you have this person just literally throwing every bad thing they've done in the 20th century at you in one information dump it it can be a little overwhelming to stand up to that um that attack, I guess. So are you saying that the current left is using the same tactic? It's the same tactic with with less of the ability to even retain that much information. Like at least say what you want about Chomsky, or at least I would, and I have said 
a lot about like Chomsky and Glenn Greenwald and all of those guys. But there was at least some attempt to gather together, you know, what even I think are sort of disparate or disparate pieces of information to attempt to sort of cohere. This, this what we have is none of that. All right, at least at the normal level, it, there's none of that. It's just all it's got is just the yell. Now we, at some point, you know, you would read, I would read like a little bit of Chomsky and Glenn Greenwald, and I'd feel like as though I was just being yelled at, you know, just at, you know, as, you know, as if we were in the middle of a failing relationship, and you know, well, you don't do the dishes. How many times did I told you to take the trash out? Well, uh, how, your underwear has all got holes in it. I was like, all right, well, I, I, I can only one, one thing at a time, you know. Um, and, and, and this then, is and what then, we have. And then she starts trying to tell you that it's okay that she <laughs> fucked this guy because the guy she fucked isn't as evil as the chick you fucked at the same time. So that's that makes right. It a- so that That's makes right. it okay, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't even have sex with her, Jason. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. I viewed her Instagram profile a couple of times, and that was it. Um, but what do, were we talking do, about? Do, do, you, <laughs> do, do you think that uh, this, this rhetorical strategy is intentional? I guess by me calling it a rhetorical strategy, I'm saying it is intentional. But this approach, is, is, do you think it's intentional, or do you think that this is just... It's like an emergent sort of thing. You know, these are true believers. They feel this way. And this, this is just the consequence. The I cynic- think it's that. Do you mean that you think that it's a, it's a, these are just true believers and this is what yeah. they... I have a, a slightly more either cynical or it's either cynical or optimistic. You, I, mean, you, I guess you, you guys can decide. But I have a, I've come to the... Like I've come to the opinion that I think that there is two things that's going on. They're either lying or deranged. It can be only one of those two things. Uh, as in lying is that they don't actually believe the things that they are saying because the things they are saying are so ludicrous, right? That you couldn't live a normal, you couldn't attempt to live a functioning life if you attempted to believe, actually go to the ends of what you believe about those things. Are are you trying to tell me that the cops aren't actively hunting down black men in the United States for sport? I am subtly implying that, yes. I am subtly, Uh, what is it? Dog whistling. Yeah, (laughs) that's my subtle dog whistle. That's a fun phrase. Um, um, Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm implying. Or that you're completely deranged, right? You know, I was the local, there was a local independent candidate who, and and here's what I say when they're lying or deranged, like this local sort of independent candidate who I knew, he was kind of a guy just around town. He had tattoos, kind of a guy who looked like he was, you know, regularly he would just look like a guy selling beard oil at a, a farmer's market. You know what I mean? You know, just sort of ironic tattoos and, you know, glasses, the whole thing. And we would talk at length about, you know, all of this stuff, all of this, you know, woke shit or whatever. You know, he, I I would talk about, you know, the open mics and someone, you know, coming up to me. And he was also doing open mics at the time about, you know, and 
people would come up to him and say, you are not allowed to say that. You know, he would do a joke about suicide and they said, you are not allowed to say something like that. And he said, he would come back and say, well, you know, I've had many friends die. This is how I process pain, you know, make jokes about it. Whatever, the the sort of, you know, milk toast answer to, you know, some yelling harpy at the end of a comedy show. The things that you would usually say to them. It usually ends in tears and fuck you, you piece of shit. And then, you know, they off they go into the night. Uh, so he ran for, he, he ran in a local election and we were, I went to his, I went to watch as the election results came in and, you know, we were going back and forth and we were, maybe we were drunk a little bit and I kind of took him up on it because I had recently seen he had in the, in the sort of, he had decided to, to announce, to uh, declare his pronouns, not just in his Twitter bio, but is the same as in his name, right? Whatever he, hey, he, her, whatever he, him, they, them, whatever. And I said, dude, what are you doing? You're, we talked about this. You know that how much bullshit this is. And then he's like, ah, you know, I knew this was going to piss you off. You know, I just did it to piss you off. I was like, Okay, you know, I said, you did this intentional thing, public for everyone to just piss me off. He's like, yeah, well, you know, and I, you know, honestly, you know, I just did it for all of my friends who were transitioning on behalf of them because I knew it would make them feel better. And I, was like, I didn't get into it because I was like, you're lying, man. I know you're lying. You're not. You, so either case, in either you don't actually believe it. you don't actually believe in the idea of you know announcing your pro i know much, know as much because we've talked about it and you're telling me that the 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 strategy is uh just to annoy me which instead which is which you're just doing for the lols right or whatever I, so I, it's 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 dishonest at that level I, and then later on he would say things like like as we were going he says you know i just think that we are not only should we reduce poverty, we're going to completely eliminate poverty. And uh, also, uh, oh, I think we should make guillotines tax deductible. Now, I, I like how much of that is just friendly banter and how much of that is, you know, actual policy strategy or actually sort of, you know, actually some part of some serious attempt at understanding policy is beyond me. I don't even understand it. I don't understand when someone says, when starts someone start talk, talk, starts talking about guillotines in St. John. It's insane. So this is what I mean when, when I say, like, you're either deranged or you're lying. It's one of those two well, things. Well, I think... Or at least that's what I think. I, I think you're... Uh, I actually think your example is... I think I actually think that's a good example to explain the difference because I think some people are deranged and some people are lying. I think it depends on the person. I I think there's a certain kind of person, and it's interesting that you're saying this person was running for political office. I mean, I know he was running as an independent. He probably didn't have much of a chance of winning, but it is interesting that you say he was running for political office because one thing that I see amongst the political class um, and, you know, politicians specifically, but even just, you know, maybe certain 
writers, for, you know, political columnists and people like that, is I think they think they can control this and harness this for their own ends. Like they, at some level, they have to know this is crazy, but they think, I, I think that they are misguided and think that they can control this, this movement for their own gains. But of course they don't realize that if these people actually get any amount of power, they'll be the first ones that'll get taken down, you know, edit that out. Anytime that I don't get a laugh, uh, I will edit it out. That's how I edit out. You can always put in a, a laugh track. That's a old way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I can't ever ask Jason to sort of just, laugh at things, which is always the way I love. This is the reason why I love Jason. That he cannot, for the life of him, pretend to laugh at something that he doesn't find funny. It's true. It's true. It's a, it's a sickness. Although, you know that Jason's sort of getting better. Sometimes, like, when we're out in public, he does the... Like, sometimes, like, he's getting... Like, the, he doesn't get the far away sort of you know, full metal jacket stare, you know, out into the distance. <laughs> Sometimes he just does the, uh, you know, just yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, how, how do normal people act? Yeah. Um, but sorry, uh, what was the last question that you asked before uh, we were rudely interrupted? Your by, uh, fucking asshole. Settings. Your fucking asshole work. Bunch that, of assholes. My dickhead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go on. Well, well, actually, I guess I'd like to, um, we can maybe sidestep a little bit, still in the realm of what we're talking about, but I guess I'd like to hear from John what, it, you know, I remember like last time we had talked, you felt, you know, uncomfortable, like you basically felt like you had to hide your actual views on things. Is that still... Is that still the case or is it like, do you feel like you, do you have a group within the university that are, you know, are more like-minded like yourself or? No, I, I more or less just keep my head down and do my job. Try to stay out of it as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that I, I walk around with a constant, in a constant state of fear or paranoia because by this point I'm kind of, used to it i know the the moves that everyone's gonna try and make so i'm usually able to avoid the uh the larger problems but you know mostly at this point because i've been desensitized i'm just trying to figure out how it happened you know i'm still really confused about how we got to this point and i haven't really been satisfied by any of the explanations i know that I know that within some of the departments um, in the university, there's this idea that this is a top-down thing, that finally academics' ideas made it to the general public. And, you know, people are reading the right people and they're working with the right ideas. But I'm not really sure that's true. I think, that, I think the two things are somewhat disconnected, um, all, although obviously they overlap, um, particularly when it comes to conversations around intersectionality. 
they're obviously drawing from academic scholarship, but I really don't think that academics are finally being taken seriously. I don't think that's the, the, the situation that we're seeing here. And, you know, a lot of academics have that contrarian streak. So even if they agree with the general principles of what's going on with so-called woke culture, um, part of them wants to push back a little bit as well. Right. You know, just because they want to they wanna play with those ideas where the general public is not so interested in playing with those ideas. They're not so interested in, in you know, the, the actual debates that go on within scholarship. Uh, and, you know, academics have been complaining about this for decades regarding feminism, that within academic feminism, there's all this variety, there's all this diversity, different perspectives. It's hard to even generalize anything about feminism. But when it comes to activists, they have a very narrow viewpoint of feminism and they don't really care to consult academics for the most part. So if it's not from top down, and, and, and I don't think it is, where is it arising from? Because if you go back and you look at any of the other major social movements in the United States, let's say, um, student movements, the sit-ins around civil rights, there was still an appetite for dialogue there. There was an appetite for persuasion. There doesn't seem to be much of an appetite for dialogue or persuasion here. They don't really care if they persuade us. Well, it's, it's interesting I, that you say that, um, that you reference the 60s, um, 70s sit-ins because I, I had watched um, Zabriskie Point recently, which is a Antonioni film um, where he, that he made in the United States. But in the beginning, he actually went to a university and he embedded himself with these actual campus radicals and he just takes his camera and kind of just gets in the middle of this big debate they're having where they're going to have a, you know, a strike, a student strike to shut down the university. But I, I, and even though a lot of the things they're talking about don't seem dissimilar to the things that, are being talked about now. I see your, I, I do, I do see that when I, that there is this interest in the dialogue in actually trying to hash out the ideas. Like they're very, they're talking about this idea of what's an ally, like a white ally within this scene, but it's a genuine question. It's it's a genuine question that's being posed that they're discussing, hashing out, trying to figure out. Whereas now it's a done deal. That yeah, this there's, a curi- there's a curiosity there that isn't really present. Uh, I mean, you know, and I I, I I genuinely try to give people um, the benefit of the doubt as much as I can, if only as a argumentative strategy. Right? You you want to you want to tackle the best version of the argument that they're going to put forward. So you have to kind of step back a little bit, not pretend that you can read their minds. But you, you, you definitely have to wonder at a certain point, if, if there is actually anything of substance here that's worth defending. I mean, obviously, there's grains of truth within this so-called woke ideology. There's little snippets here and there. 
Like say, for example, police brutality. Okay, that seems like that's an actual issue. But then how they frame it, it doesn't seem to be grounded in anything except getting the win. However, right. they see the win. Well, in uh, Douglas Murray, um, was it? I think Arif sent me uh, an interview he had done recently. Or no, it was, I guess, Patrick had sent it to me and Arif. Um, just about, because where his book's coming out in paperback. But in this interview, you can really sense that he's at this place where he's just saying, you know what? I don't give a shit anymore. I don't like, I'm just fed up with this. Um, like he's, he's talking about this way that they'll go after anyone for the slightest indiscretion and say, you're racist, you're racist or you're sexist. And he says numerous times, he just says, I don't care. It's like, I don't care anymore. I just, and, and I think, and I think that's the thing that, will drive a lot of these people away from it hopefully what, will what just be will just be the fatigue just the fatigue of of this of this call out shit like that you you have to literally watch everything you say you the you know you misspeak even slightly you're going to get canceled i mean it's I think you're right when you say it, it it's too I, I don't think it comes from the top down but to clarify Jason I think what he men, means to say is that he doesn't care about their judgment anymore. yeah he or at least yeah. he doesn't care about the fact they, uh, that they in their present condition are able to make a judgment about who is or is not racist or sexist or homophobic or anything yeah. like that yeah, like I think their reading think so, of yeah. history, if they have a reading, is uh, is flawed. If they even care about things like history, uh, their take on philosophy, if they don't consider it pretentious or gross or you know filled with white men or whatever the hell, uh, is insufficient. And so it would be, it's, it, you know, it. He, I think he is at that point, or at least sort of a lot of people sort of at the ground level, people like me simply go out and say, I do not think you're a, you're the kind of person who should be go out and whose judgment about who, whether or not someone is Hitler or, or literally a Nazi uh, is accurate anymore. You know, that is not to say that they, that say, you know, like John doesn't give, people the benefit of the doubt when they disagree with them. It is just to say that past a certain threshold, we're not even talking anymore, right? Like John, you know, when the three of us would like have our disagreements or argue with each other, I don't remember, quite remember ever calling in seriousness, calling Jason or John a racist or a Nazi, which are honestly the best things about you to both. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it. 
after a uh, certain point, we can't really like we can't really move past. Oh, you disagree with me because I'm a racist. You disagree with me because you are a Nazi. Uh, I, I do think that there's something deeper there, though, because it's not—it's not simply. I don't think it's simply a, a, a choice to not engage. That though, though I might have given that impression, I think that there's. It's it's hard to put into words, but I feel like we're playing a different game, or most people are playing a different sort of game, and we're trying to play that game with them but they have a completely different rule set i think this is what on balance is uh douglas murray so much because you know he's come up in that sort of british tradition of you know private school debate clubs and there are certain things you do and you don't do and even if it's just a an informal set of rules you know what to expect when you're approaching someone um for a debate you know the points that you can hit and you know the mistakes that someone's likely to make. There, there's th- that currency isn't really present here. It, it reminds me a little bit of. Um, you remember when that cartoonist uh, uh, Scott Adams tried to convince everyone that uh, he's Donald playing 4D Trump, chess. Trump is playing 4D yeah, he's playing 4D chess. chess, and yeah, and one of one of the components of his argument is that Trump is immune to conventional arguments. Conventional political debate tactics you'll you'll be make well i think this and he'll just go me 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 and you're done you know you end up looking like the idiot even though someone's making a duck puppet with their hand um i oddly enough i think that the far left if we can even call it that because i think it's even debatable whether or not they're left wing um i think that they're they're doing something similar you know, they're putting their fingers in the ears and la, 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 la. You know, it's kind of childish, but yeah. this is the more grown-up version of that, that playground kind of behavior. And adults don't know how to deal with it. Well, and you can really see that at the – you can really see that at the universities in, when they have these really crazy incidents like, you know, Evergreen with Weinstein or – um, what happened at Yale, you know, was that five years ago or however long ago that was now, uh, there really is this sense that you're right. They don't know what to do. It's just this, I don't even know how to engage with this, you know, well, it's literally, impo- it's, it's, it's actually impossible to deal with. It's like, remember that old debate, you know, when we were sort of the three of us were always arguing about like, you know, back when this was when like Hitchens was still writing, mm-hmm. and uh, there was that uh, that famous debate that he did uh, with uh, uh, about Iraq with uh, George. Uh, what's his name? Oh, that Scottish guy. Remember John? He's uh, Hitch is wearing the blue shirt and he's sweating. It's in the Bronx. It's I- about Iraq, Georgia. What's his name? He's the British MP now. He became. I, was I know what you're talking about. I wonder. I wonder what happened to him. Anyway, so if you remember the debate, you know, you know, you remember the debate, watching the debate and it gets, it's like, they're both sweating and, you know, Hitchens, of course, pro rock war and the other guys, you know, he's just yelling obscenity. He's just like, you're a, you're a pro fascist. You just want to kill Iraqi babies or whatever. And Hitchens is making light, light work of it all. 
but in the audience like he's clearly in some sort of very left wing brooklyn kind of audience though debate is hosted by npr and if you listen back to the debate there are people yelling at hitchens throughout the whole thing this would be you know people would be like uh, people often ask like, i mean how would hitchens deal with this i don't know whether hitchens would be even equipped to de- i think hitchens would come to the same conclusion as like murray did which is that you know he's not even talking to that he's not he doesn't even have another side to debate with he's this is just him on stage and other people are yelling at him there's no way that you can do it and and much like that debate everything else is just it, it's it's inaudible and it just sounds like yelling that's all it is you know um so there's no real way that you can deal with it except to do and john is right we're pl- we're just playing different we're not even talking about debate anymore we're just talking about yelling uh i mean it's ideological roots or what you know they don't care about whether or not their ideological roots are foucault they don't give two shits about foucault like that's of course it where uh, some of it where it comes from you know the will to power nietzsche like it comes from that it comes from a long old tradition maybe maybe even um it's socrates right like what's it thrasymachus or whatever is the name of the guy the you know in, in the in the dialogues he's he's like socrates is uh, is arguing with um, the sophist what's it? yeah thrasymachus i think that the that uh, all persuasion comes down to all governance is about is just the you know it's just plain power and socrates is attempting so this is an old this is an old idea right like the only way to make any sort of change the only way to govern is by simply by just getting power right and these people sort of inherently believe that they've sort of ingested that without having any idea they don't even give a shit about the tradition as far as their tradition is concerned just burn it all to the fucking ground right it's all you know it's like that movie that that you know in annihilation did you watch annihilation that movie with natalie portman No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't no, I it's a sci-fi movie. It's pretty good. It's the same guy that made Judge Dredd. Uh, Alex Garland, I think, is his name. Or Alex, Alex Garland. Alex yeah. Garland. He did Ex Machina. Ex Machina is the name of the yeah the other one that he did. And the whole movie is essentially about the there is a certain the, the, there's like a orb that it's, lands on Earth. The shimmer. The shimmer that lands the on shimmer. Earth, and everyone that there are a whole bunch of scientists that go through it. and it turns the whole world kind of crazy and it attempts it makes everyone all of the scientists sort of suicidal and at one point you know there's this like great point where you know natalie portman is sort of facing you know um some sort of version some sort of demon version of herself or sort of otherworldly version of herself that is basically attempting to kill her or kill itself right and that there is there is some sort of i think all of this sort of talk about power and governments is is maybe not to sound freudian but i think it's at some deep level it's some sort of will to to destruction of their own self or their own destruction and the destruction of everyone else you know as a result right like there's a there was a local candidate here and they would they, you know op- there's there's a thing about like i have no problem about people sort of talking about or discussing things about mental illness but you know just the constant talk about suicide i've wanted to kill myself lol you know and 
it's the and and at the same time sort of attempt to talk about sort of police policy or police brutality or you know sexual assault or whatever right i look at that and i think how is anyone supposed to like what is what is exactly going on here when you say abolish the police how are we not supposed to take some you know connect that or at least i how, how am i supposed to not connect that with you seem like as though you're you're a person who wants to not only destroy yourself you want to destroy everything that's good for everyone else around you as well does that seem like too much of a stretch how am i wrong about this let's just put it that way maybe it's easier but i i'm sort of at the point i'm sort of way past the point where i think that these are people who can who we can talk about so i was like well why are you sort of saying this kind of stuff what is it what is it about destruction what is it about the I, act of destroying a statue that gives you such joy i there's a lot of i mean we've talked about him a lot you know um jordan jordan peterson sure. and we've certainly taken a lot of his ideas to task but i think there's a the one area in which i think he's he's on to something it's it is this notion of of belief i think it's it's he I, there was a you know it, and it's not that i'm asking or i'm thinking we need you know we need that old time religion that's what's going to save us um it's certainly not <laughs> i think at this point a a nice uh heaping of religion will clearly just make things worse but but i think he is onto something where it's almost like the culture has just become unmoored in some way. Um, there's nothing holding it down. And, and there is almost this feeling that these, these social justice people are just, they're just grasping at anything. Like they're just, they, they, they want the world to make sense. They, they want that, they want that, that, you know, I'm one of the good people. These are the bad people. I'm fighting the right, you know, I'm fighting the righteous crusade, you know? Um, and, you know, and, and McCorder of course talks about this a lot, the kind of religious um, component of, of the, you know, of the modern, left and certainly of the the kind of woke politics um but uh, yeah i think there's something i think there's something there like but i i've never really i guess i'm kind of i i'm i'm in the same boat as you john and that i do feel like i think there's something about the moment we're living in and what's happening just in general, but certainly in regards to this, um, you know, this kind of siege essentially that we're facing from the radical left that I just, I feel like nobody's quite been able to articulate what it is that we're dealing with or what's really the cause of it. Like, I think there's a lot of people 
who have insights, they, they have pieces of it, but I think I've also, I'm in a similar, I mean, maybe it's because we're living in it. Maybe that's what it is. You know, I think, I think that's, I think that's part of it. Um, I was thinking, I've been, I was reading recently about, um, here's a great way to bore people. I was reading about uh, the Victorian period and Victorian censorship. And very quickly, there was this really interesting period where they were able to produce cheap paper. And this caused a moral panic because of cheap paper. And the moral panic was because all these young people were getting access to these four or five page things that are referred to as penny dreadfuls. So for a penny, you could read it. And oftentimes it was salacious, though by today's standards, it was pretty mild. By their standards, it was, you know, salacious and titillating and all those sorts of things. So there was this big concern that the availability of cheap paper, more or less, was driving uh, delinquency. And there were all these newspaper articles about it, people, serious people weighing in on these young people having access to what was essentially you know, that, the comic TikTok books. TikTok videos. The Victorian TikTok videos. Yeah, Victorian TikTok videos. There you go. And they seem so genuine when you read their responses to it. Like the genuine heartfelt concern that they have that their society is going to collapse because of these <laughs> penny dreadfuls. If you were in the middle of that while all of this was happening and you didn't have any after-the-fact knowledge, you would think that and, and you, you know, if, assuming that you had somewhat of a rational perspective, you'd think everyone was losing their minds because that's exactly what it seemed like they were doing. Like particularly people who are educated, it looked like they were losing their minds over, over these things. And it's only in retrospect that we actually get these narratives. Well, actually, you know, it was a con- John? Um, John? Oh, sorry. Oh, you froze. Oh, you you froze. No, I guess oh, you're I froze. back. You're back. Okay. Well, you, you, you'll have to cut that. But anyway, it's it's only after the fact that you get these narratives about, you know, that this is people concerned about the loss of Christianity, or the this is rich people concerned about poor people. You know, they go to that next level of whatever that layer is to explain this insanity. And I see people struggling for that now. You know. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe this is the, the absence of, uh, of a religious framework, you know, some sort of grand narrative to tie everything together. But maybe we're not really going to know what this is in, you know, for another hundred years. Well, in the, in the Douglas Murray interview that I was referencing earlier, uh, there's another aspect of this that he hit on that I, I, I hadn't really thought about, but it's that so mainstream academia and the intellectual class has really come to terms with conservatism over the last hundred years. Like it's been studied quite vigorously. Uh, You know, they, there's kind of some general agreement about what, you know, what the pitfalls were, you know, what the, what some of the issues were in a way we certainly when you're talking about the left from the sixties on, I mean, I mean, we're still valorizing the weather underground for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if part of it is, and it's not that there haven't been people who have dealt with this 
topic, but I don't think I don't think that has been as widely disseminated as this kind of glorification of the sixties and post sixties left. So I wonder if that also partly explains how we've ended up in this situation that seems almost unexplainable because as a culture, we haven't really done the work. I mean, the fact that mainstream society, I mean, it almost seems politically suicidal right now to criticize the Black Panther Party as an example, where you can certainly make a lot of to just sit back and say, oh yeah, the Black Panthers were all good and there were no problems there with the Black Panthers. You know, to any rational thinking person, that seems crazy, but I, I really, I do think mainstream culture has really kind of glorified a lot of this, um, a lot of these radicals of the time so I wonder if that's part of it too, that we, we've maybe been letting the left slide for too long. And I now it, don't, I even don't think that they care about the weather underground. I don't think who, they don't, they don't even know who the Swasong Heath Heath are. Uh, they have no idea. Uh, these, are these people. I agree. I mean, I'll agree with that. I agree that the individuals involved in this are very ignorant of history. I'll agree with that. But 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 i but they are living within a culture that has largely been reticent to really criticize these various movements of that time what they in they like the iconography it's cosplay for them right now and yeah. there's a thing about um it's on netflix you guys watch that social it's called the social dilemma it's a interview with Tristan Tristan Harris. He was on Sam Harris's podcast. He's like the Facebook and oh, Instagram I, I haven't, insider. I haven't seen it yet, but I want to sort of whistleblower it. on all of these kinds of things, but on all of those apps and, you know, sort of sounding the alarm. Listen, this is fucking your brains up, you know, so things that we sort of kind of knew already, but he makes this interesting point to go to the quibble a little bit with John, what John said, or at least John's comparison, perhaps with, uh, or maybe sort of extend on it uh, about the uh, the penny, what, what do they call it? Penny? Penny dreadfuls. Penny dreadfuls. The equivalent, like I think the equivalent of the penny dreadfuls would be the, you know, the obvious comparison would be sort of social media. But I think, and the thing that he makes the distinction that's very interesting is that you know, the, the technology of the printing press for a hundred years didn't really change that much. You know, essentially it was just the printing press. People just printed the news or these things were just printed onto pieces of paper, right? Or different kinds of paper. The difference, and so people say the same thing. Well, you know, we had people read newspapers back then. We just look at our phones now. The see what the distinction that he makes uh, that's interesting, at least that I find, is that the 
is that the algorithms have an ability to progress in a manner that far outpaces the abil- the human ability to change with that with those uh, in to keep in line or at least to keep at pace with those changes like human humans haven't really evolved that much in say about 100 like we haven't like our brains our brain capacities haven't really changed that much you know since the 19th century right whereas the technology of the phone from you know 2007 to 2020 it's crazy right and so those things the, the algorithms themselves have outpaced human ability to sort of make to adjust to them right which is to say that those that at some level the algorithms value stupidity they value the the attention and a, and a kind of very base stupidity because that's what keeps you on or at least that's what they say that keeps you on your phone right your ability to just stay on that on that thing for an extended period of time and so if you were to take if you were to match or if you if you were to take the the uh, the sort of monkey brain that keeps someone on their phone with the kind of primal scream that is going on about ideological issues it would seem like as though the match is too perfect obviously like the the you know i'm not saying that the answer is as simple as it's the phone stupid that's making you crazy obviously there are philosophical and ideological roots but to answer to the concern about why is it that we're playing that such crazy games why why is it that we're playing talking at different frequencies we're we're talking at different languages that might be it you know or at least that's what that's what i feel like it would be it right one of the candidates here locally ran for the ndp based based solely on her notoriety for uh saying fuck the saint john police and then getting promptly blocked blocked by the saint john police on twitter oh, and yeah. then it became a telegraph yeah. news story that the <laughs> right. saint john police blocked someone on twitter and that it was a violation of her rights i remember that yeah and they became <laughs> and then she became a ndp candidate that was that was it right that was literally and she had a lot a, of su- she had a lot of success too yeah did she Oh no, she did not. No, yeah. Oh, you're oh. being sarcastic. Oh, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I'm not, not to, um. Yeah, not not to diminish all of the sort of sort of good, uh, intellectual and philosophical wrangling that we're attempting to do here. but at some level even i you know i keep saying this but i feel like as though we are like we're talking to retarded people you like we are talking to people who just do not care about like i don't mean that like in the literal sense of the term you know like i don't mean that in the way that it was te- like we are talking to people who just do not like you talk oh. start talking about foucault they start talking about 1968 they're like whatever whatever fucking nazi you know they just do that you know that's but, what they do right what do you what do you think i i mean i i think i agree with you you know certainly to a certain extent with regarding the um these people like 
you know, people of this ilk you're talking about. But when we first started the conversation, I had, I was sort of hitting on this idea of the kind of mainstream left, like not your radical left, but your, your, your more mainstream left providing cover for these people. Like, like I think they're the ones I almost feel like with your, the radicals, they're gone. They're, they're fucking there. I agree with you. They're out to lunch. They're just, it's, there's no point in even engaging with them. We need to convince the people on the more moderate left who think I'm engaged in this culture war against these evil, dastardly alt-right people and Donald Trump. So I need to stick up for my side, no matter what. I feel like these are the people that we really need to be going after and putting the pressure on and trying to reason with, but even with them now, you can see the slippage, you know, like, Who are you talking like, about when you mean the mainstream left, like, Trevor like, Noah or something like that? Or uh, I mean, uh, Trevor John Noah. Oliver, that sort of thing? Uh, them. Because that's you literally, know, like, I don't even yeah, think that them. there are academics who are on, like, I don't uh, think that there are any academics who are on, <clears throat> on board with any of this, but it seems like as though a lot of the academics. Or, you know, like Nicole Hannah-Jones of the sure. New York Times, like the 1619 Project. You, you think know. that she's part of the mainstream left and not the sort of extreme end she, of it? She's... A, She's definitely an in-between figure where, but that's what I mean by you see the slippage because I mean, you definitely have to call her part of the mainstream left because she writes for the fucking New York times and she won a Pulitzer prize. So that would have to put her in the mainstream. But when you see the rhetoric that she's spewing, I mean, it seems very deranged and unhinged and, you can't believe this person won a Pulitzer Prize, basically. Um, but 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 I feel like there's. I just we really I feel like we just we need people of all political stripes to call out the craziness when you see it at this point, and and I think every you know it's just gotten too. I, I will say I think the right's better at that. I do think that your more mainstream conservatives are better at distancing themselves from the, uh, to quote Hillary Clinton, the deplorables of, of their side um, because they don't want to get labeled that way. They don't want to be thought of as, you know, alt-right or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. I do think that mainstream conservatives are a little bit better at that than the mainstream left. But now, uh, what do you guys think of? I don't know. You guys got any thoughts on that? I'm of the opinion that they are. They're sort of like we. The line between the two is somehow it's 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 completely gone. Like I don't. I can't tell. For instance in this election but they're lying this is the liar thing though this is the thing you were talking about are they liars or are they crazy it's that i think it's 
you know, I think it's very calculated and I think it's about winning. It's about shit. Our side's winning. We just, this is where the heat is. Heats with BLM, the heats with, you know, intersectionality. This, this is where we got to go. It's, I, I, so I think, and I think it's a mistake and, and I think part of, you know, we need to convince these people that it's a mistake. Well, I don't know if you can, but that's, I think that's, you know. Well, I certainly can't. I remember, you know, I'll let John speak, but uh, I, when we went to that, uh, uh, I went to the, my, my friend who was running uh, office and when the results were coming in, I was kind of drunk and I kind of yelled at him about why the hell did he put his pronouns in there and it uh, it reminded me of many of the arguments that uh, you and I got into that uh, devolved into me screaming at you, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about, shut up, oh, Jason. You did that to me too, I remember that fondly. Yes, <laughs> and to you, John. So I certainly have, I've been trying to, I've been trying to meditate and everything, you know, and I just blame the the hops, I think, in the beer. I think there was a, like, they were, we were drinking that like pickaroons, you know, it was very, had lots of hops in it. John, you know, I think that's what the hops makes you a little bit more argumentative and heated. I always like the idea of just being sort of calm and level headed. I like that idea of myself, you know. I like that idea of myself too. It's a percentage. It's the percentage of the day that you remain calm. You know, you go for five minutes, see if you can handle that, then go to 10. I've never seen you lose it in that manner, though. I don't think from the way that I lost it. So I have. Yeah, I think our. I think our. And even I'm a little more prone to that kind of fiery stuff. I think. But you always have a. You always have a little bit of a grin on your face when you're getting angry. It's like you're amused at being angry at the same time that you're angry. With Arif, though, there's really no amusement. He's not. (laughs) He's not amused at himself. <laughs> yeah. I think if you had some sort of Sam Harrisian or sort of calm about yourself. I feel I imagine Christopher Hitchens would really get really angry, you know what I mean? Like when getting arguing in this sort of like Trotskyist manner. So perhaps perhaps I'm in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Like you guys are sort of you are you're up there in your sort of French coffee shops, you know. <laughs> Serge Gainsbourg in the back. Every time talks politely. I'm sort of at the I'm in like this, if this was the Titanic, you know, I'm like a sort of Leonardo DiCaprio figure dancing with the, you know, <laughs> with the and, dirty Irish, you and know, we're, and, and we're, and we're Billy Zane. That's the, right. The, the, I'm the, a, the fucking prick who's going to throw the, throw the baby off the boat so you can get in. I think yeah. doesn't, doesn't that happen? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm about to draw Kate Winslet's tits, you know, and, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> uh, just about, uh, it, yeah. I, I guess you want to get John's thoughts on what I was saying about do you like do you see a divide between like do you see the mainstream left as as being like useful idiots or or maybe the mainstream left sees the radical left as useful idiots that they can use, but either way, like do you do you see them at this point as just one in the same, or do you think there's a divide there? I think there's definitely a divide there. I'm not sure. I don't think maybe some of them think that they can use the uh, the radical left, but 
I mean, let's be real. The radical left and the center left, they, at least in, in sort of recent innovations in, in their ideology, they're, they're kind of come from the same stock. Like one of the biggest defenses you'll see the center left make of the radical left is like, okay, I don't like the way they're doing this, but you know, they have a point and they will, and they will present the reasonable version of that point, which is not what their friends on the radical left are doing, but right. that's how they, that's how they give them, that's how they give them shelter. So I think, no, I think, I think they believe many of the same things. I think, and until the radical left turns on them, they're all too willing to ride that wave. Because as you said, I think for them, it leads to victory. And I, I think the victory element of this is really interesting because both the center left and the radical left have almost this apocalyptic vision of things. If they, if they don't get into power, if they don't dominate the situation, if they don't shut out Republicans and conservatives, then all is lost. Like quite literally, the planet, humanity is riding on this. And, the, you know, all you have to do is, is go back 30 or 40 years and you can see that the, the way that they have conversations, the left and the right, are completely different back then. You, you had complete freedom to say, okay, yes, the right, okay, the right has four years here. They won. That gives us an opportunity to bounce back. We'll get the next one. It's not that big of a deal. The country won't change that much. That's not how they view things now. If, if, if the Republicans or conservatives, depending on what country you're in, are in power for any length of time, it is potentially catastrophic. So both of them share that uh, vision. It's a kind of like millennial, I can't, I can't say. Millennial. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's, that, it's that kind of thing. Which it's I like think the goes, Jehovah's Witness, John. Yeah, and it goes, it goes back to that religious like quality you know it's it's a, it's a fire and brimstone approach to uh to politics you know this utopianism well it's interesting that you brought up the the way that they view a conservative government as bringing about the end times because i think another thing that is would be interesting to look at would be where did this happen at what point did conservative become synonymous with just everything that's evil and rotten and vile with society for at least a certain type of person. And that type of person tends to be the, per the people who are the arbiters of culture, you know? Um, I mean, why is it that it's so controversial that Vince Vaughn is a Republican in Hollywood. Like who actually would give a shit about that? Why is that yeah. actually a big deal? I mean, I don't, as far as I know, he's never actually said anything overly controversial as far as statements. I mean, I know he's friends with Mel Gibson, so maybe that alone um, gives him a certain pariah status, but do you remember when we had conservative comedians? Like conservative comedians that yeah. were actually popular. Yeah. That would actually appear on talk shows. I mean, Dennis Miller's the, ob the obvious guy. Now Dennis, Dennis Miller's a hack, but he didn't really have much of a choice in the matter. Like he had, he had so few avenues yeah. to, to go down. So now he, he's running the, uh, you know, the, the, the typical circuit, the crowd. Well, outside of Carlin, there weren't really many comedians who were very out with their, I think 
there is something within the comedian's psyche, uh, or at least previous prior to to within the past ten years about aligning yourself with a party. I think there was something very sexy about being sort of on the fringes of something rather than at its center. In that Zadie Smith short story, she talks about it, right? Like there's only, you know, that freedom only exists at at the fringes, right? It doesn't exist at the center. Uh, yeah, and even Dennis Miller, I think, you know, at the height of his thing, he more considered himself sort of a libertarian, right? And now, but of course, that all gets refashioned, right? Yeah, but now the in as as much as there are conservative comedians now, they, I, if I had to get take a guess, they only I use that idiotic phrase, identify as conservative as a way to piss off the libs. Because right. it's a way, it's a sort of signal to everyone that this is some, this is some sort of weird, dangerous, like the water's about to get choppy right now. You know, we've been, you know, we've been hanging out in this, uh, on our boat, on this, you know, on our yacht in this sort of moose light commercial that we like to call our lives. And, uh, you know, the, the clouds are about to gather. Watch out. Here's the conservative comedian. That's the, that's the way that they really identify as conservative. Now, the, I think there is like a confusion. Listen, I even had this confusion that you, everyone thinks that what's conservative and, you know, Douglas Murray has been great. Reading him has been great on this, but... Like everyone, like we had this confusion that the British conservatives and the English and the American conservatives and the Canadian conservatives, all our conservatives are about exact are conservative about exactly the same things, which isn't true. Like yeah. British conservatives couldn't give two shits about, you know, pro life, pro life or pro choice, whatever. You know, they have some thoughts on the matter, but they have no interest in, uh, you know, policy. You know, changing policy. Uh, American conservatives somehow do you know and i think for the most part canadian conservatives also don't really give two shits about uh about you know whether or not uh the government should be responsible for those things you know they have canadian conservatives can very happily say things about you know gun control without having any they don't have any qualms about saying yeah definitely we should have more more gun control British conservatives, they're like, definitely not. We don't want guns at all, right? Like, with the, whereas mm-hmm. American conservatives are like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, go. no, we we have to. Like, this is part of our, it's part of the whatever, Fourth Amendment or whatever. Is it Second. Fourth? Second Amendment, Second. sorry. Uh, but but so, our popular culture and, and, you know, the arts doesn't really acknowledge this diversity. No. 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 I think that there is something mainly is because the word it's because of the this is I think this is sort of a misunderstanding of semantics I think sort of because liberalism and in that tablet piece that I sent you guys I think that he hits on something that's interesting he said because liberalism implies at its base and there's a there's a great Paul Berman piece about this at at the very base of liberalism implies the ability to play and experiment you know what I mean like you know just do the thing, you know, figure things out, just riff around, poke around, you know what I mean? The ability to treat life like a little bit of a sandbox, right? And the, and, and 
sort of to go further with that analogy, conservatism is the boundaries of those. Is that is the attempt to put the boundaries on the sandbox? Actually, you're. I th- I think you're 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 really articulating something that is what actually made me really turn away from the left. It's that it's that it's that I always viewed the left in that way that they were more open. There was more freedom there to, like you said, like, you know, poke around in that sandbox. And I feel like the left is all about boundaries now. It's very, they're very, they, they, they still speak the, the language of, no, we're the, we're the ones who are all about, you know, people living the lives they want to live, but not really. It, it's, you know, it's, it, they're, they're all about cordoning off how you, sh- you know, the, th- I mean, the, literally the thoughts in your head, they want to control the thoughts in your head. They want to control the things you say, which is in turn going to control um, the way you behave in life. So I think for me, that really was one of the things that drove me away from them where to me, they just seem conservative, but I mean, genuinely conservative, not, not in a political sense, but just there, there's so much fear there and there's so much pearl clutching and it's, it just, I I can't fucking stand it. It just drives me absolutely mental when I, when I hear this shit. Yeah. I think, the best way I have found, I mean, I don't know whether comedy is a good gauge of it at all. I don't know. Like, I don't know what, after the pandemic, I don't know what becomes of what is remaining of comedy at all. I, but if there is, if what, I, if I've learned anything is that they, that none of, nobody really believes any of this shit actually this is all just the Hail Marys that they have to do in public and secretly because comedy is sort of like the, the structure of comedy. You, you can do play along a lot with the structure, but essentially what laughter is, is it's a, it's a very primal thing. You know, they, it digs, uh, you know, it only works if it digs underneath all of your ideological philosophical pretensions and then sort of, you know, gets at, gets at something that's very, that's un- that's underneath that all right that's when it works and usually the way that works is that if you're honest if they sense that you something about you that's honest then they laugh you know and if they laugh they then they won't care then they don't care that you have sort of conservative bents or anything like that right like nick nick DePaulo, for instance right like he's a conservative whatever comedian you know big trump guy or whatever you know, but then, you know, he, and he, yeah, he just says what he wants. And I've seen him do things in clubs and, you know, for exactly the kind of people who you do, wouldn't think would laugh. And they, they eventually do laugh. Right. And I've seen that at, even at some of my shows, man, like I, I've done sort of open mics at sort of vegan, very like vegan restaurants in Fredericton. One, I did it at like a local brewery. And, you know, exactly the kind of sort of lopsided haircuts, blunt stones, you know, 
ironic Simpsons tattoo or something like that, you know. And because the lights are off, you know, but there's just like a few lights on stage and I can see them, but they can't really see, they don't really know that I can see them, you know. And I can see them laughing, you know, beside, you know, despite themselves, they're laughing. Uh, if something really hits, right? And, you know, and they come up to me after, sometimes they come up to me and be like, I loved that show. And, you know, and some of it is really dirty and disgusting and, you know, whatever, offensive. I don't, I'm not trying to offend, but people, they do laugh. And once they do, you know, then all of, all of it is forgotten. Now, if those things were really, truly felt in the, mat- in the manner that, you think it that it does where they're like, fuck the police, you know, all of this shit. You would think that they would just be completely incensed by it, but it's, it's not all, it doesn't, it doesn't happen always. So I'm just saying, do you think deception is still a key? This is like status seeking behavior at the end of the day. Yeah, but it's, yeah, you're John, you're right. It is status seeking behavior, but it's also status seeking behavior. That's it's, it's like this kind of phony status seeking behavior at the level of all these like regular people. It's all they have. They think that that's all they have in life is this. It's this is their will to power. They don't have, they don't feel like they don't have anything like clout and all of this, like Instagram shit. Like that's, that's what they think the world is sort of, uh, like it, 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 that's the sort of cycle of the way the world actually works, you know. Uh, like there's, I, I don't, I never watched Cuties or anything like that. I don't, you know, but I did read about it, and that I did read a snippet about it. I heard from someone say this snippet about this one part part of the movie where there's this kid, where there's this like a kid gets devastated when she posts something on Instagram. And she doesn't get a like or something like that. She's devastated right. about it. She's crying about it, and it's 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 kind of scary for me. Like of all of the other stuff, like that's the scare. Like I think underneath it, that's the scariest part is that someone can be completely devastated at such a young age because they posted something on Instagram and didn't get liked. Like something so facetious that we would think of it as so facetious would be would be that important, would be important enough to devastate a child to that extent. Whereas the three of us, you know, we, I was eating my boogers until like an hour ago. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, we weren't doing, I I can't imagine any of us were doing any of that. John was setting off matches, you know, in a, you know, in a forest, trying to start a forest fire or something like that, you know, chasing squirrels. Bedwetting. Yeah, (laughs) bedwetting. (laughs) bedwetting Jason was just sort of staring at his Stanley Kubrick poster in his room you know throwing a dagger up into the air and then catching it with his teeth Um, I wish I was that cool fuck yeah (laughs) but but that's I wish I I wasn't so scared of fire (laughs) (laughs) lots Um, of things I like to bring down yeah (laughs) but I think that's what's the that that is what I think is I think is at at the root of it, which is to say not to for you, Jason, not to be I don't know these people don't know what the hell they're talking about, Jason, so you just 
You just carry on, man. You just carry on and refuse to bow down. USA. USA is as you like to say James, often. James, I'll be like James Caan in Thief. That's burn, right. Burn it. That's burn it right. all down, baby. That's right. Well, James Caan and Thief. That's it, right. It, well, and another aspect of it, and then, then you will get shot at the end of it. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's how it. <laughs> another, but another, another aspect of it as well that I, I think I find so maddening about the current cultural climate. It's, it's that you know, you have a movie come out. So we'll say we'll use a TV show as an example. This Lovecraft country show, um, which. Just to, I, as an aside, for, Jason, sorry to interrupt you. Is this based on H.P. Lovecraft? Um, any chance? It, it it's like it follows the Cthulhu thing. A little yeah, bit. it it. But the the uh, it's based on a novel, I think, from uh, twenty sixteen. But it they're basically dealing with the fact that this you know Lovecraft was a racist, and they're right. but so they're they are drawing on his stories, but it's delving into the racism of Lovecraft basically. But, you know, I, I hear people talk about shows like this and they say, it's so brave. It's so courageous. I, 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 I don't, uh, I, I don't know what's brave about it. How is it brave to put something out where you're just in agreement with what everyone else thinks. I mean, this is, these are the dominant narratives of the culture now that, you know, white, white supremacy is everything. Um, you know, the like dis destruction of, you know, destruction of black bodies and all this kind of stuff. I, I just find it very, they they just think that anything that is of their opinion is automatically it's courageous and brave and it's it's you know like speaking truth to power that kind of you know that kind of bullshit i i think that's another aspect of it that just drives me insane when i see this shit you know i mean the show might be fine i haven't watched it i'm not this isn't actually a criticism of the show itself, but it's just I find a lot of the chatter around all these woke shows and movies and music. It's 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 just a circle jerk. Well, well, to be fair though, they they genuinely do believe that they that they live in a in an, in some sort of racist dystopia. So so for, by that standard, yeah, it it is brave. They're just not paying attention. Yeah. That's true. It's it was the same with the remember when the uh, Handmaid's Tale came out right after Trump was. Oh, elected. it's a, it's a documentary. Yeah, it, it was. This is a, it's a Saudi Arabian documentary. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> was that a bullshit point you think I made? <laughs> oh man, oh, I really should end my life. Um, the, um, yeah, I think. I mean, like. Remember that when we used to do the show, we Jason and I used to always do this, and John would roll his eyes. But like you'd call it the conversation about the conversation, 
right? right? Like we would always talk about it. Like, oh, look at these people are talking about the like we'd be talking about the thing that other people are talking. About. It would have it would happen with that. Uh, what was that uh, fucking Catherine Bigelow movie? The the oh Rock zero War dark was. zero dark thirty zero dark thirty. I think we spent like three episodes talking about like go, the, the go, going after the. Zero. Going after the dreaded Greenwald. Yeah, Glenn Greenwald. He would yeah, write, yeah. like he wrote an yeah. op-ed in the Guardian before even watching the movie or something. He's like, definitely don't watch the movie or something. Some shit like this. I don't yeah. know why that annoyed me because honestly, those are the only kinds of conversations that I enjoy having now. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, you know, I think we sort of it was our project, like five-year project to just gaslight each other. Uh, and then end up on the same, end up thinking exactly like each other. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, back then, I mean, I thought it was loud back then. Right now, yeah. it's all that we have. Right now, we all, all we seem to have is the conversation about the conversation. Like that, I mean, the classic example now, I mean, the example is joke, is that movie The Joker, right? Like, right. Or, Months prior to that, prior to anyone watching it, it was already decided that theaters were going to be set on fire and, you know, just women would be paraded out, you know, naked and the men would just be sort of dangling their belts at them. You know what I mean? It's like like a, in a celebration it's of... the Cersei, Cersei shaming ceremony that's, that's from uh, right. Game of Thrones. Right. Shave her head. That's right. And then the movie comes out and then everyone just decides to go, this is the most brilliant thing we've ever watched. Okay. nowhere else has anyone decided to ever no this is the most original piece of work anyone has actually ever made and in fact let us kill all of the rich people uh exactly like and the, you you like what are you did after, before watching the movie you were crazy and then after the watching the movie that's even more crazy thing like i well to to be fair though i think there was there were like, uh, see, you can't help it. You can't help but getting drawn into this fucking web of dealing with the conversation about <laughs> the, the conversation. Them. But there was, there, there was people on the left who stood fast to the idea that this was like this very toxic, um, dangerous film. But then you had people like Michael Moore coming out saying, if you really want to understand what's going on in America and what led to the rise of Trump, watch this movie about this fucking, I don't know, sad clown guy becoming a villain and uh, what's he assassinate a talk show host or, or something? I, I I watched Arv and I saw it. I have that's barely, actually the Michael Moore biography, by the way. <laughs> I have barely any fucking memory of that movie. I I remember Jason, seeing it. You and I watched it, and we did. You and I yeah. looked at e- looked at each other, and J- John, this is what happened. As we were watching it, we're like, I said, just as the movie, just as the word that was a piece of shit just comes out of my mouth, the entire audience starts get standing applause they start like all start clapping like fucking morons yeah. i felt like i was like what did i just get teleported into idiocracy what just happened uh, but but i do, i do think one of the things that i thought was interesting about that though and i remember you and i had discussed it at the time is is i do think there was this reaction against 
what like that the because regular you know like your average kind of movie watcher did really seem to love that movie and they thought wow this is a great movie like like everybody i works that i work with when they find out that i like watching movies it's always oh did you see the joker did you see that it like the joker is definitely the dark night of citizen kane (laughs) Uh, it's like it's the dark night of 2019 right Right. it's the movie that everyone is like oh did you see this but i I do think there was an aspect of it where i still haven't seen that damn movie citizen kane it's no, oh. the Joker. It's oh, the not. Joker. Yeah. I still, I, I still, I have I just feel like now it's, it's so long. Uh, like I it can't watch it. I but, can't watch but it, it. But it almost, it almost <laughs> might be a better time to watch it though. It like now be, that yeah. it's like a little bit of distance from the, from the uproar. Like you might be able to be slightly more objective about it. Perhaps. I did like the, tra- I did like the trailer. I remember thinking the trailer was really good. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if there was an aspect of it where people were reacting to the reaction. Like they, like they, they loved it so much because they thought, you know, don't tell, don't tell me that I'm a racist for liking this movie or that I'm some fucking deplorable, like, fuck you. You know, like, I wonder if there was a little bit of that maybe. But then you have to wonder how closely does the average person really follow these kinds of conversations, you know? I don't think they're plugged into it. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this was great. Uh, John is like the lights in his home, like surrounding him, (laughs) are gradually fading. So, which is, I I think this is an indication of John's brain as well, just sort of quietly shutting down. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, this has been fun. Uh, hopefully, we can do. We'll we'll keep this. We'll see how long we can do this. I say we do just like a short run, and then we go off into the night. Just gallop into the night, you know, like highwaymen, you know, <laughs> until the world requires us again, and then we shall return. But uh, all right, we'll meet back well, we, here we, soon. Hmm? All right. Well, we should definitely we should definitely do more. I mean, I don't know about a limited release, but yeah, we but should definitely we are definitely going to do more. All right. Okay. Uh, for all our fans, I will try not to say the R word again, just so that John doesn't get, you know. <laughs> I don't think I could be fired, knife. like at a, you know, for something you said. Maybe who knows? It's upside down world. So yeah, no, they just <laughs> they just do a deep fake of you saying. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Um, all right, we'll chat soon. Uh, good night. Good night. Bye, boys. Later. Bye.